Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome to the Science of Magic, a place where science and magic come together to transform fact into evolving truth. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net, and can also be found on our website, www.thescienceofmagic.net. I'm your host, Golda Wiecka. This hour we'll be exploring Become as Little Children. I've always loved children, well, most of us do, but I view them differently than many. I see them as perfect, radiant beings, amazing expressions of light that are challenged with giving up their true expression in order to fit into the artificial human world. I've always been able to calm a fussy infant by simply reflecting their inherent light back at them. I guess it makes them feel more at home, like they aren't alone here. Sadly, it's only a reflection as I can't come close to embodying their amazing bandwidth. I've been here too long. 
kind of takes it out of a person. To watch young children play is to experience the power of imagination before it becomes shut down by the denial of those around them. They really are living their fantasies and dreams. Given enough time, they grow up to manifest them. Alas, they're not given that time. Instead, they're taught that the imagination is not real, a thing one must grow out of, in order to become responsible adults. If you can't imagine a thing, you can't create it. The imagination is a vital part of the creative process. When we imagine something, we're actually creating a matrix at the quantum level around which our desires can manifest. Without our imagination, we're left dependent on the system to provide for us in exchange for our life's blood. To watch young children move is to witness complete, unselfconscious embodiment. Every move is fluid. I've often thought it was as if they were made boneless and made of rubber. There's no resistance or blockages in their joyful physical expression of life. Only too soon, they're taught shame. Keep your skirt down. Sit like a lady. Don't climb on the furniture, young man. And so on. The body becomes rigid in an attempt to conform. Soon, the projected judgment and shame from the chastising adult is stored in the child's physical form. Their body becomes further restricted by the emotional miasms stored within. They are no longer granted full expression or range of movement for fear of triggering the stored emotions. Soon, the body becomes so impacted with restrictions, judgments, and denials, it can no longer channel the full bandwidth of light that was our birthright. Without the full bandwidth of light, we suffer a shamanic illness known as power loss. Deprived of our light, we can no longer access our inner guidance and must look towards the outward for direction. Light is frequency. If our natural light is weakened, so is our frequency. Our very life force is diminished. We age and die prematurely. After having gone through this brutal socialization, children grow into adults that are often triggered by the open abandon of the young and feel compelled to correct them, make them behave and toe the line. In so doing, they're actually passing the limiting social restrictions down to their children, no matter how well-meaning they may be. What a flawless program to disempower the individual and render them subject to the system. And all the system has to do is sit back and let us pass our damage on to our children, depriving them of their inner guidance, rendering them unable to manifest and leaving them as subject to the system as their parents before them. Interstage left the new era. As we move into the Aquarian age, our solar system has entered a much more highly charged area in our galaxy. As a result, there's more light available, and the children now are being born or coming in with the lights on. Increasing incidences of indigo and crystal and rainbow children is unprecedented. These gifted ones, by their very natures, are systems busters. They see through the artificial man-made world and do not conform. They are our light and our salvation, yet we're labeling them ADD and ADHD and drugging them in droves. We're too busy trying to make them like us as we fail to realize we need to be like them instead. We need to become as little children, channel the light, follow our inner guidance, imagine the world as we want it to be in order to recreate it. Listen to the children. Our very future depends on it. Our guest this hour is Shakta Khalsa, author of The Yoga Way to Radiance. After this commercial break, I'll introduce Shakta and we'll explore yoga, children's magic, and inner guidance, so don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Prior innovative episodes can always be found on our website, www.thescienceofmagic.net. 
This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at www.drgibbswilliams.com. Shamanism is recognized as a method to access the quantum level. Mastery of shamanic skills puts spiritual information and healing power into your hands. Path Home Shamanic Art School, a bonded Colorado certified occupational school, has met rigorous state standards ensuring its director and instructors have the qualifications to teach the shamanic arts. Path Home offers its certification program in blocks of study. Block 1, a five-day intensive, will be held in the beautiful mountain town of Coldale, Colorado, October 13th through 18th, Registration deadline is September 12th. Experience journey trance, power animals, helping spirits, sacred space, and life purpose. Come discover your power. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, in the magical world of shamanism. Call 303-775-3431 or visit findyourpathhome.com. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour, Shakta Khalsa, is author of The Yoga Way to Radiance, How to Follow Your Inner Guidance and Nurture Children to Do the Same. She's a leading expert on children in yoga, having worked with both since the mid-1970s. She's a parent, Montessori educator, and a yoga professional, recognized by Yoga Journal magazine as one of the top five kundalini yoga teachers in the world. Shakta is the founder and director of Radiant Child Yoga, an internationally known training program for teaching children yoga and working with raising children consciously. Her website, www.childrensyoga.com and www.shaktarights.com. Shakta, thank you so much for joining us on the Science of Magic. 
Well, thank you very much, Gwilda. I'm very happy to be here. Um, you, you know, you're a Montessori educator, it says here. <laughs> Would you mind yes. explaining what that, what that means and how it differs from traditional education? Sure. Um, <clears throat> uh, Maria Montessori was the first female doctor in, in, um, in Italy, and uh, she happened to go to India, and she saw that the children just learned naturally by the things that were in their environment, and she developed a whole system of education through that, where, where children learn through their five senses. Like, for example, even just learning to read, they trace with their fingers, they trace sandpaper letters, and they learn the sounds of them. Instead of learning A, B, C, D, they learn the sound it makes, and they're tracing it at the same time. So it's, um, it's just a kind of a logical, practical way of learning. And um, when I was a Montessori teacher and had my own school for um, eight years, uh, the children would just choose. It. We, we just relied on the children's intuition and their own instinct, and the teacher kind of stay in the background and just observe the child more and see what the child's interested in. The ch children would choose their work from the shelf. And if they hadn't learned it yet, then the teacher would sit down and silently show them the work. So it was all done through gesture rather than a lot of talking. And um, I was a, a teacher for ages three to six. And uh, it's really part of the formative year. So that's my favorite age. It has been my favorite age. And um, I really enjoyed being a Montessori teacher, and we, we did yoga as part of our, our school day as well. So you kept them engaged physically as well. You know, when, when you're talking about mm -hmm. this, it reminds me of the way a lot of the indigenous people raised their, their children. In the, There was not a whole bunch of talking. Most of it was taught mm -hmm. by example and touch and feel, um, yes. and it seems like the kids ended up being more grounded that way because we're not forcing them out of their natural expression so young. Is that, was that the idea yeah. behind it? Yes, I would say so, uh, although I have seen some Montessori schools who have kind of given in to the pressure of um, achievement, but that isn't the original way that Maria Montessori developed this program. And so when I had the school, which is in the 1980s, I really kept to what her, her true intention was, at least as far as I could feel it. And the yoga and the meditation we did in the, in the classroom uh, really helped. I also showed children how to do... Um, healing work on each other because they naturally could see energy, feel energy, but no one was ever talking to them about it. So I just let them know that I understood that and that I was helping them and inviting them to explore that. Oh, amazing. You know, ad admittedly, some socialization is required for children to be successful in the world the way it is right now. So yeah. how, do you, how, do you, how do you advise parents and teachers to socialize the children without squelching these natural gifts? Well, the way that I do it in my new book and the way I do it in any yoga classes I teach with children is the concept of cooperation, where cooperation means we are both doing something together and we're both responsible for doing our part so that it can be good for everyone. So it's got like a unity to it. And that's how we would do things in the Montessori school, too, if two children were fighting over a truck. We would bring the truck to the circle, and all the children would sit around and we'd say, what could Josh say to uh, Brian uh, instead of grabbing the truck? What could he say? And then everybody would come up with solutions. May I use the truck? Uh, when, when will you be finished with it? And then Josh could possibly say, well, I'm still using it, but here, you want this one for now, and when I'm done, I'll give it to you. So 
the children were learning cooperation, and I, I think there's a lot of adults that don't understand that. And if they did, then they could help their children to do it more, and that's really one of the things that we bring out a lot in the the um, Yoga Way to Radiance book is that we're all in this together, and so let's cooperate. Let's find ways. Let's be solution-oriented, basically. So do you know of any people that are, have uh, grown up as very successful adults that were trained in the Montessori way? I'm not as, as connected to seeing how children have grown up in the Montessori way just because that was their school system. But within my own spiritual path, which is Kundalini Yoga, um, I lived in ashrams and the children were raised with usually Montessori education, but they also at home were raised with yogic principles. And, and these yogic principles, when I say yogic principles, I don't mean the yoga the way it's presented nowadays, um, where it almost seems like an exercise system or just a trend in some ways. I mean the true meaning of yoga as it was is it came from the masters, which is um, more like even what you're talking about with um, energy, vibration, really being tuned in to the Aquarian age and, um, and really raising our children in a conscious way, like being present and conscious. So I would say, yes, I do know a lot of children who have grown up that way, my son included, and who are well-adjusted adults. How do you see children's bodies as being impacted by our current educational system? Well, obviously, they don't normally get to move around. They, they are um, just uh, using their left brain mostly all the time and not their right brain. And so there needs to be a balance for that. Yoga and meditation are a balance for that. And also just playing, natural, natural playing that children do should be encouraged and allowed. They should... In my opinion, recess and, and free playtime should be one of the main um, uh, offerings that a school offers, not just uh, cutting that out so that they can do more study. Way too much sitting. Given that that's not what we have, um, what do you suggest for parents to do to counterbalance the limitations of the school system? Uh, let, allow their children to have free play, encourage them with free play, but also get outside with them yourself. Um, you, could, um, you could just play in the yard. You could um, get involved with sports with them if, if they are inclined towards sports. You could just do things even inside the house. Uh, in our family, we used to put on the Beatles and dance. We just have fun dancing, and sometimes we'd have pillow fights. Uh, just finding the spontaneous ways that you just free yourself up, your own cre creativity, free your creativity up to, to just allow yourself to think outside the box and to get involved. So I think the parents need to get involved too. They can't just send their kids out to play. <laughs> <laughs> How soon do you see children shutting down their natural expression? Mm, I would say when they start elementary school, before that, I see them a lot more freed up and, and using their imagination, uh, having imaginative play, being more enthusiastic about life. Um, it seems to me that um, when they start elementary school, first, second, third grade, those are, seem to be the crucial times when we start to see them taking on the, the adult way of, of, of 
a viewpoint of the world, if you could say it that way. You know, they start to kind of take on the, the burden of that. You know, I've, I've noticed that um, adults will, um, we're talking about imagination here, adults will humor the kids with their imagination, but kids aren't dumb. So it's almost like mm-hmm. they realize that the adults aren't buying it and are uh, mm-hmm. actually co- being condescending, um, patronizing yeah, about their imagination. Sure. What effect do you think that I has? Do, yeah, I do see that a lot. And um, it, the reason why that happens, in my opinion, is that children are tuned into energy and vibration. They might not call it that. They might not know that's what it is. But they can tell what's real and what's not real. And when a parent is disguising the way they really feel with some words that sound okay and different, to, meant to soothe the child or meant to have some kind of an effect that isn't true to what they really feel. The children can feel that. And the children who have sensory integration issues like autism, they really feel it. And a lot of times what I find is children feel these things and they express them either in their behavior or just in the things they say in response, but they don't always understand what is going wrong within them. They don't They don't always understand that this person is really not giving me uh, the truth. They just know something doesn't feel right about it. And so then there goes the feeling of safety out the window because they're not being heard, even though they're picking up something that's real to them. Is that true? Yes, yes, yes. I give a really good example of that in in the book. Um, Just imagine like a a mom is uh, driving a car and the four-year-old child's in the car seat in the back seat. A car cuts mom off. She slams on the brake. She's really upset. She begins to swear. She's shaking. And the child says, what's the matter, mommy? And she says, oh, nothing, honey. It's okay. It's okay. So now the child has to deal with this because the the child can feel something is wrong. But the mom is saying it isn't. So either one of two things have to happen. One is the child doesn't trust adults anymore, just little by little as more and more of these incidents have happened. Or the child to trust the adults and not their own guidance, what they feel from the inside. So to just turn that around quickly, um, the same thing happens if mom says, oh, honey, that car cut me off. It was scary for a moment, but I'm coming. I'm, I'm calming myself down. I'm going to take some, a couple deep breaths. Do you want to do the deep breaths with me and help mommy feel better or help yourself feel better? Now, now something really valuable has happened, which is mom shows and admits I'm, I, that scare, was scary. And now here's what I'm doing to help myself and invites the child to join along. So that totally turns the whole situation around into something that's valuable. Okay, so the child is validated and given tools at the same time in that example, right? Exactly. And the child can trust the parent because the parent was being honest. Yeah, it seems like we think we have to protect our children by lying to them, and it's really not protection at all, huh? (laughs) It's not because they can feel it. feeling energy is vibration and they they feel it easier that because they're closer to the natural source and as they get older they begin to take on more grown-up kinds of ways of thinking and feeling that's why i wrote the book for adults because the children aren't really the issue it's the adults who don't remember who they truly are anymore they're not 
staying connected. So yoga, meditation, being mindful, being present, um, journaling, loving yourself. Loving yourself is the biggest <laughs> That one. is so important, yeah. We're going to have yeah. to take a break, Shakta. Um, Shakta and yeah. I will return to our discussion after this short break. You're listening to The Science of Magic on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Previous broadcasts of thought-provoking episodes can always be found on our website, our gift to you, www.thescienceofmagic.net. We will be back, so don't you go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exome Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exome Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7, 365. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net.
I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour, Shakta Khalsa, is the author of The Yoga Way to Radiance, How to Follow Your Inner Guidance and Nurture Children to Do the Same. Shakta, we were talking about how we inadvertently lie to our children, and then they're stuck with a choice of either ignoring their sense that something isn't right and believing us, or not feeling safe in the world. And would you go into how that um, shuts down a person's intuition from very young? Well, this is just the way I imagine it. I'm, I'm just kind of putting myself back into a childhood body or a child, you know, a, a, a childhood mindset. And um, I believe that children are just naturally very connected to who they are meaning that their intuition is very strong. There is, it's almost like an instinct, but an intuition none the same. I don't think that they recognize it as such because they don't have that kind of self-awareness. They just go along with their life following in a natural way, just as you were talking about indigenous cultures, following their intuition. So if the adults are already connected to their intuition and connected to their own true inner guidance or their self from the inside out, then the child gets to maintain that and even explore and let it blossom as they grow into adults. But so often, as you were saying so so eloquently in the beginning, so often at some point in our lives we begin to buy into the... Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called micro laser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. The usual way of looking at life 
and thinking the world is a certain way, not realizing that we actually create our world to be as we want it to be, or we create our world by what we focus on. And so if we think there really is this true reality life and then we buy into it, then there's lots of room for discouragement, complaining, not trusting ourselves, trusting authorities outside of us. And the children learn that too. They begin to pick that up as well. They pick it up from parents, teachers, other family members, um, people they interact with every day because it seems like, oh, well, I guess this is the way the world is, you know, and they just take it on as well. It's all done very unconsciously, though. It's not a conscious choice with them. So how do you think we can reverse this shutdown in in children and, you know, for that matter, in adults? Yeah, well, to me, it has to do with realizing we create our own reality. That's the number one part, because if I'm in in a happy space, then I stay happy even if the outside world around me doesn't change. But what I have noticed is when I'm in a happy space, the sun looks a little brighter, things happen. I'm smiling. The neighbor talks to me. Um, Things work out. So this is what I've noticed after many years of yoga, meditation, and just being mindful in the present moment. And um, because we create our world, we can create it and we can choose. And so it's the choice. So we can make a conscious choice to say, well, I'm going to grouse about this thing to my best friend right now, or no, I'm going to sit down with it a minute, and I'm going to just find out what that really is to me. What are those feelings, and allow them to be, and allow them to then move into something better. And this is what uh, I, I have give a lot of guidance for that for parents and teachers and other adults in, in the book, because... I feel like the, that we as adults are key to these generations of children. Sure, they come in really amazing, indigo, Aquarian children, and we want them to be able to maintain that. And that's why I developed this work to begin with that I've been doing now for the past 40 years, basically. So where did yoga originate? It originated in India, but there are actually... Um, archaeological findings that show that uh, yoga also, signs of yoga like statues and hieroglyphs also are shown in the the Chinese culture and the Mayan culture. But it became well known and developed into a complete system in India, and no one actually knows how long ago that was. It's as as much as five or 8,000 years ago. It's not new at all. So how many forms are there at this point? Oh, I I don't know because um, there are more traditional yoga um, teachings and, um, and sciences and practices, but then now that yoga has become much more popular, every day new um, yoga paths and, and techniques are, are popping up. So I don't really think I can answer that question. The the style of yoga that I teach is Kundalini Yoga, as taught by Yogi Bhajan. And he brought this from India in the 1960s, and I met him in the early 1970s. So he was a true spiritual teacher who came over from India. So I was really fortunate to be able to learn directly from him. Very nice. It's always nice to learn from the master. What is yes. Kundalini Yoga, and how does it relate to frequency or light? 
Okay, um, that's a good question. I like that question. Um, I, I find that um, the concept of Kundalini Yoga to me personally is that it's an awakening of the latent power within each and every one of us, and that latent power is our light. It is our. It does elevate our frequency. It does change our frequency, and and bring us to an elevated state. Now, some people think it's like, oh man, my Kundalini rose, and then I was, you know, it was sort of like a drug trip or something. But that's not my experience of Kundalini Yoga after forty five, forty something years. It is a gradual awakening of the true self, of the being that is the most connected to who you are spiritually and physically and mentally. It is the true self that we see in these children, but with the experience that life has given us as, as part of who we are now. The experiences we've gone through, whether we think of them as negative or positive, create this elevated being. Once we understand who we truly are from the inside, then nothing looks bad anymore. All the stuff we went through was just leading us into who we are now. So that's the way I look at Kundalini Yoga. And it, as far as the yoga itself, the way it looks different is um, a lot of the Hatha Yoga-based practices are asana-based, and asana means um, holding a posture. So most of the, the yogas that you see in the magazines are holding postures, and in kundalini yoga we hold some postures, and we do many of the same postures like cobra or shoulder stand, but we also have what we call exercises or yoga sets in which we do a lot of movement coordinated with strong breathing. Um, some people say it's related to Tibetan yoga as well, and I've seen some Tibetan yoga, and it is very powerful with movement and breath, so I could see the connection there with Kundalini yoga. Okay, so how does uh, yoga help children and adults channel this spiritual light into the world? Well, for for young children, the uh, the yoga that I teach is very playful. Like we'll we'll go on little animal adventures, and we'll be snakes and hiss, and then we'll we'll sit and and blow a feather for our meditation. And it's ways of helping them focus, find the joy in them. And then as they grow older, the the yoga starts to look a little more adult like. So they hold the postures longer. They understand, oh, this can help me. Um, get rid of uh, when I'm feeling anxious or help me prepare for a test, things like that. So the reason that Kundalini Yoga works so well with kids is because they like to move. They don't like to just hold poses. I mean, maybe they'll hold poses a little bit, but it's great that we have Kundalini Yoga because it has so much movement in it. And uh, they can move in and out of down dog they can um, bring their arms up and down and be the beautiful bird, inhaling up, exhaling down. Uh, so we have lots of postures and movements, and this helps children to feel more happy, feel more connected to who they truly are. That's what I find. That plus the, uh, we give them three parts. Basically, it's the yoga, which is more the movement. Then it's a deep relaxation where they get to just, relax and do nothing and just incorporate the effects of the yoga and then there's a seated usually a seated meditation of some type and with a young one sometimes the meditation is a beautiful song that um something like there's one beautiful song called i am the light of my soul and it has movements with it and the children get to affirm that within themselves before they leave the class 
That's beautiful. Um, <laughs> tell me, I, I, I want to know your secret. How do you get these little ones to uh, meditate? Oh, well, they, they enjoy it. It's very short. It's one or two or three minutes uh, for the three to six or seven-year-olds, and then a little longer as they go. But I find if you make the meditation kind of magical and attractive and something they feel like they want to do, then it makes a big difference. And, uh, and also what else makes a difference, and this is something I teach the adults who come to my training program, is it, your energy makes a difference. If you think they can't do it, they won't do it. If you think they're perfectly capable of sitting in their own light and their own beauty, they'll do it. It's Amazing. energy. It's the way we think about things. Amazing. So um, they're actually not just meditating. They're tapping into the frequency of their own beauty. Is that what's going on there? Yes. Yes, I love that phrase. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, so what do, you, what do you see as uh, resulting from diminished ability or access to channel the light? What symptoms do you see in children and adults for that matter? Anxiety is, seems to be the biggest one. Um, and some self-destructive destructive behaviors or, or hurting themselves or lashing out to other people at other people. Um, that's all, those are all symptoms of not connecting from the inside to the true essence, the true essential beingness that, that we are, which is goodness. And they're, they're not tapping into that anymore because they bought into... Um, other people's belief systems, which is very, very easy to do. And sometimes it's just a process for all of us to realize we've done that and then come back around to our true essential self as we become more mature. I would say that that seems to be part of earthly life. (laughs) Do you see it as characterized by an overwhelming sense of loneliness because we're disconnected? Yes. Mm-hmm. Because we're disconnected from who we are, truly are from the inside. Because and once we do that, we find it everywhere. That's been my experience and experience of many of my students. And uh, there's wonderful stories in my new book uh, that are, aren't my stories. They're all true stories of people who have refound this for themselves. There's an amazing story of a woman who was told by her naturopathic doctor, you are... Um, she was having so much trouble within herself and with her child, and her doctor was bra- bravely said to her, you are reactive parenting. And she said, I don't even know what you're talking about. Said, <laughs> we're going to have to pick up with reactive parenting on the other side of the break, so we're going to leave you oh, with a cliffhanger. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Shakta and I will be back on the flip side of this commercial break. You're listening to The Science of Magic on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net, the place where altruistic professionals of science and and the esoteric create common ground for the betterment of our world. You can always listen to previous transformative broadcasts on our website, www.thescienceofmagic.net.
As host of Dialogue with Divinity, I am thrilled to join the Exxon Broadcast Network and their growing number of affiliates. My quest for a connection to the divine ignited my successful career path as an international spiritual counselor for over 40 years and author of four books and well-known metaphysical educator. My clients call me their spiritual mama. So my job is to offer you a radio show to help you grow spiritually with wisdom and get specific tools from guests who are experts in their field. Tune into Dialogue with Divinity and be part of the conversation with spirit. My goal, your happy soul. For more information, please visit my website at johannacarroll.com. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exome Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exome Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7-365. Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who would like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com.
What Happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genix provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life is no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour, Shakta Khalsa, author of The Yoga Way to Radiance, How to Follow Your Inner Guidance and Nurture Children to Do the Same. Shakta, we were talking about reactive parenting. Would you describe that for me, please? <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> well, in, in the story, <clears throat> which was a, a true story given by one of my students, the uh, the parent was raising her child and giving her every single thing that she wanted and seemed to need, and she felt she was being a loving, giving parent to her child. But what she discovered when she woke up to what this naturopathic doctor said to her, you know, your reactive parenting, she said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a loving parent. I'm not a reactive parent. But she felt that there was truth in what he said to her, and she went home, and she just really examined herself and realized that she was parenting from her own lack, from her own um, insecurities. And, and so it was not coming through to her daughter as a, a person who is really knows who they are. And because she didn't know who she was and she was insecure, the vibration or energy that a message that conveyed to her daughter was that she was giving her daughter everything, but her daughter felt insecure because that was the message and feeling coming from her mother. So what she started to do was she started to 
really contemplate this, to to notice how often she was in her insecure self and and trying to find love from her daughter, and she instead would go back into a more meditative place, a more mindful place. Into she would journal, she would um, really self-examine with inquiry, with self-inquiry. Why am I doing this? Am I giving her this gift because I want her to love me, or am I giving her the gift just out of pure joy? So these were some of the things that she started to notice. And so what happened from that was that um, she, she little by little came out of it, and her daughter also came more, it became more secure, more her true self, and they have a much better relationship. She knows it's something she has to continue to work on. Got it. It sounds to me like she did not have the frequency of self-confidence and had to go into a meditative state and really do some personal work in order to reconnect so she had it present for her daughter. Is that what you're describing here? Yes, yes, that's what I'm describing. Mm -hmm. Got it. You've been working with children since the 1970s. Have you noticed an increase in the gifted children available here? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, first of all, I think every child has this potential, but some of them come in and it's so remarkable and so obvious that even people who don't believe in in these things notice it, begin to notice it. So what I find is that children are more able to um, know who they are and feel who they are as spirits and keep connected to that longer. And, and even if they get way later sidetracked to get back to it easier there some of them have really strong what we would call psychic abilities or abilities to know things that were beyond what they could have known through their regular left brain and um i have heard of and and seen on the internet children who can even move things or change things i haven't i don't have personal experience with that Um, But I have seen that on the Internet as well. And one of the teachers that I really enjoy listening to has mentioned that the children now are coming through a portal um, called the Arcturus Gateway. And um, I don't mean the children. I mean the souls that are being born now. The souls that are being born now are coming through a a sort of an energetic star gateway and that they it gives them more ability to remember who they are, remember even past lives, and to stay connected to who they truly are in this lifetime and what they came here for. Yeah, you know, it's... um... I think that the overall frequency on the planet is higher. And so we're able to incarnate with more of our original frequency, whether we view that as a portal or however we look look at it. I think it has to do with where we are in the galaxy and the uh, ambient frequency available. Do you see it that way at all? I do, for sure. I do feel like um, each generation is able to hold a higher frequency than the one before it. And so this is a natural progression. Um, Perhaps I myself have have worked on myself to to change um, some of the patterning that that I grew up with. Uh, And so when my child is born, um, they are able to enter in a starting place where I'm already where I am now, and then they can move on from there. So uh, yes, I do see it as an energetic frequency that just is continuing to open and grow. And I, I feel like the frequency that we're moving into is is just higher, brighter, and lighter, and I feel very, very good about 
our, our earth. I, I know there's a lot of dark and light mixing it up, but I think that's all just part of the tail end of these ages that we've been through, and um, we really truly are in the Aquarian age now. It's a blessing, isn't it? <laughs> so, what yes. do you think is what do you think is the relationship between gifted children and the ability to access and channel this increasing light? I think it comes very naturally to them. They don't even think about it. They don't. It's not a big deal to them the way that it is to my generation. They they can just do it. They just. I remember a conversation I had with my son in which I he was old enough to just have, maybe he was 12, 13, and he was old enough to have like a grown-up conversation, and I was, I was explaining to him an insight that I had that was like a real revelation to me, a spiritual insight, and he didn't say anything, and I, I thought, well, maybe he didn't get it, and I start explaining again. He goes, no, no, I, I understand what you said. You said, and he told it back to me and took it a step further, and to him it was no big deal. I've certainly seen that in my children and in their children. <laughs> it's like we have to, yes. you know, go through all these gyrations and ceremonies and this and that to get where they're already at. It's like they're looking at I me know. going, well, what don't you get here, Mom? <laughs> I know. That's why the yoga in my book is for adults, although there is some fun stuff in there for kids, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I used to um, teach children, yo- um, not yoga, obviously not yoga. Sorry, you, that's your job. Mm. I used to teach children <laughs> shamanism, and they're naturals mm. at that, too. And one of the mm. things that uh, they really, really got off on and did really well with was embodying their power animals. And I see a lot of animals are used in yoga and the different poises. Can you speak to this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's interesting you had that idea because I love Native American um, work and the power animals, and I thought about creating a, a, a yoga theme where children do choose their animals and then they create the pose and and then they do the pose and lead it for the other children in the class, and then they meditate on their on what the the meaning of their animal is. So I, I think that's a lovely idea, and it's actually something that crossed my mind. Yeah, you know what what happens is they're able, by embodying the animal through their imagination, they're able to embody and embrace the frequency that that animal nation is bringing, and it can bring a balance back to the child and or adults. So um, do you suppose that they would be embodying what they're lacking or embodying their strength if they chose one? That's well, a good question, and I've thought a lot about this. I think it embodies both. I think that they're just, that's the paradox of it, that the thing that we're challenged by is also the thing that is something that's our gift. So when we work through the challenge of it, then it shines even brighter. Uh, that's, that's been a, um, a something that I've noticed a lot in my own life and other people's lives. The gift and the challenge are kind of two sides of the same coin. coin. Yes, they are. They are. Isn't it amazing? And, and I see that when children are playing, they will oftentimes embody in their imagination the very animal that they may, might stand for, the frequency that they lack. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the children have to teach us at this time? How to be truly who we are. Uh, we have so many methods and ways of and techniques, but I find a lot of people get caught up in the technique and they... They miss the essence of it, but it's the essence of it to me is to truly know ourselves from the inside out and to realize we're made of pure love, and that's what the children come in as, and it's who we came in as too. So if that's our natural self, then we get to 
self-inquiry about, well, how do I get back there? What, what am I doing? What did I buy into that isn't truly me? And just Got start it. shedding. Start shedding it. We're, we're about to run out of time. Would you mind telling our listeners where they can find your book? Oh, sure. Thank you. Um, the Yoga Way to Radiance is, um, there are three places that I know of you can find it. Amazon, uh, Llewellyn, uh, Llewellyn.com is my publisher, and also my website, which is childrensyoga.com. Oh, that's perfect. Um, so do you have anything to share in parting about for parents to help with their children? We have about half a minute. Yeah, I think one of the things that maybe I didn't emphasize that's so important is really allowing yourself to be okay with yourself as you are because that's always the first step. And if you can be okay, you can kind of like let the air out of the balloon and just relax, and then from there you can move into some new places. So it's about embracing what you are rather than being restricted by what you are not. That's right. <laughs> it has been an absolute <laughs> joy having you on. Thank you so, well, so much, and good luck in all your endeavors. Our guest thank this you very hour, much. Oh, our guest this hour has been Shakta Khalsa, author of The Yoga Way to Radiance, How to Follow Your Inner Guidance and Nurture Children to Do the Same. Her website's www.childrensyoga.com and www.shaktawrites.com. This has been The Science of Magic. Remember, you can always listen to Pat's thought-provoking episodes on our website, www.thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you embrace the child within. Searching through the night One people, one nation Searching for the light One people, one nation Coming from the stars One people, one nation